All right, welcome back to NGF News. Um, this is our third episode, right? Yeah. Yep, third. And uh, we have a couple of things on the agenda, but first today we're gonna just start with uh, just making sure you guys follow us on our Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. It's all NGF underscore news. Uh, except for Instagram, which is uh, ngf.news. Um, and also, we have also some exciting news, which we are going to be on different streaming platforms. So we are on Spotify, but now we are also on Apple Music, Google Play, Amazon, and we will be trying to expand to other ones like iHeartRadio and Samsung. So, yeah, let's go. Oh, yeah, um, we're expanding little by little, and um, we hope to see that you guys uh, enjoy our podcast on different platforms. Um, but for today, we do have three topics that we want to discuss for our uh, latest global developments. We got strikes in Europe. Um, this was not talked about much in the headlines. Situation in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. It's it's pretty controversial and kind of sucks that this is not talked about in the news uh, with all the violence going on for decades as oh, well. And then, last but not least, we want to discuss the U.S. debt ceiling. So. Why do why don't we get started with the strikes in Europe? Um, I'm gonna go ahead and start with Great Britain. Um, Great Britain is, I think, has one of the highest levels of um, strikes right now. Moment, oh yeah, momentarily, it's bad. Um, on February first, according to the CNBC, more than half a million British workers went on strike that day. Half a million. Um, what they're uh, debating for is better pay and working conditions because the current British CPI of December of 2022 last year was at 10.58 percent that's double digit inflation we're gonna get the january inflationary report on february 15 so before we go ahead and talk about the strikes take your guess is it gonna go up or down cpi cpi and and, oh it's gonna go up no i think so it's gonna fly up yep well if if you look at uh post brexit numbers uh Average annual GDP in England is around 2%, which for a developed nation is not good. Um, 2%, that's just not, it should be averages around 3%, 2.8 to 3.6. They thought they could get away with Brexit and become the next, like, big developed, uh, like the big country, right? Yeah. Modeling the United States and China, but little did they know they were actually, their success story was because of the EU. Oh, for sure. And they're they're trying to go back to the older days where they were, you know, colonial. And uh, unfortunately for them, that can't happen anymore. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, this these rail strikes, um, also just strikes in general, like energy plants in places like that in the UK are causing severe disruptions, especially in travel, which for us, we are going to London next month. So hopefully that uh, stops. Uh, it's gonna stop them. Shit. But um, yeah, they're um, like you said, February first, half a million. That's the largest strike in British history. So it shows a lot. Uh, their the wages have actually been cut in Britain. I don't know by how much exactly. percentage, but um, yeah, I mean they they've been cut at a time where inflation is in the double digits. Um, some of the demands of these workers include inflation beating pay rises because they've been getting wage cuts, which makes no sense during the economy like this. Oh, yeah. And I guess it's because the UK is kind of doing poorly. It's the only G7 country that um, didn't become positive in their GDP report. So, I mean, you still can't cut pay, pay like that. 
it's just not fair for your workers. How do you expect oh, no. productivity if your workers aren't getting compensated well for the work they do? So um, another reason is for pension reforms. And again, yeah, redress any uh, pay falls. Um, there is a bill right now in the lower house of parliament that wants to enforce minimum service levels. Oh my goodness. And if they don't achieve those quotas, which isn't, you know, just, yeah, they, it can be punished by termination if they don't report to the job that's right. So now they're taking away the ability, ability to strike, yep. even though those workers are now well compensated for the consequences of a British government that decided to leave the EU, which is now having ripple effects throughout the entire uh, their entire population. Oh yeah, you you have to in the United United States, you have to give the federal government here some very good credit. Um, during the the Trump and the Biden administrations, uh, salaries saw increases of three percent yearly. So like, we're we're doing a good job, but over in Britain, the public sector is absolutely screwed they have they have no raises they actually have had cuts plus with the inflation the when when russia invaded ukraine i mean obviously energy prices skyrocketed so and they were already paying what was it nine pounds a liter for free free this now it's like 12 to 14 pounds a liter it's absolutely crazy how the average british Person has to go around, not just British, UK in general, has to go around and live. It's almost impossible at this point for them to live post-Brexit era. So I think there's a lot of things that maybe to be done going into this next round of elections that are going to be coming up. There needs to be a whole reform. Yeah. Full economic reform um, within the British government. I mean, their economic policies right now are terrible. They need a, if they want to be an individualistic country... They need to have some sort of free trade agreements again with the EU because businesses are having a hard time getting products in and out of their country because they now they have to go through additional inspections um, and so on and so forth. But yeah, these these businesses, the private sector cannot they cannot uh, what is it grow because of these new barriers of the UK leaving uh, the UK leaving the EU. No, yeah, for sure. And uh, the current prime minister Rishi. Sunak, he's under a lot of pressure right now oh, yeah. um, from his people because he was a big, big Brexit Brexiteer during the Boris Johnson era in 2015. So he's got a lot to do and he's got a lot of pressure to join, rejoin the EU. And uh, I'm sure the EU would love to have them back they uh, because they're just another another pretty big economy. I mean, they're the, they're the world's seventh largest economy with over a trillion dollars in GDP. Were. Were. Or, yeah, that'll that'll probably change after this. That might year. change, unfortunately. Um, Inflation there—they're targeting for a four percent um, CPI geez. by the end of this year. That's not. Can gonna... they reach that from ten percent? I mean, if you look at the U.S., right, we went from nine to what is it, seven percent? Yeah, it's about seven two in a matter of one quarter. I think it was. Yeah. So that's like what two percent? No, wait, nine to yeah, nine to seven, two percent. Yeah, in one quarter. So. If the U.S. could do 2% a quarter, that's 8%. And we're targeting, what, 2%? Two, two, yeah, 2 or 3. I think the U.S. would have a better chance at reaching our goals compared to the U.K. Oh, yeah. If they could get, if they could do a 2-3% drop in CPI every quarter, then they'll reach their 4% goal by the end of uh, end of this year. 
But with the way things are going on now, we're going to get a better sense of what's going on in the British economy with this next CPI report um, on February 15th. Yeah, for sure. Um, but unfortunately, which is what the uh, Brexiteers are still shining on, is that this is not just a British problem. This is a Europe problem. Um, if you look at France, France are protesting over Pension reform, they want to raise the pension years from 64 to 66 because they don't have enough young people to fill the jobs. Mm-hmm. They also are experiencing the same prices uh, of commodities going up, energy. Same with Italy, who are doing train and rail strikes. Spain, which are doing train and rail strikes. Um, according to, uh, I forget what it was, I think it was Reuters, in a couple of days, Spain workers' unions are going to call out 162 air traffic controls to organize a walkout. Jesus. So that means that that day planes just can't fly. Wonder why? Yeah. What could this all be? Wages. Oh yeah, my. They're what not getting. They're not getting paid enough. They're no. They're not getting paid enough, and they're getting taxed. I mean, the tax rate in Europe is insane, especially right? in Spain. It's they like do percent. They do get the social benefits, right? But people. They're still getting the social benefits, but at the end of the day, their people are still suffering. Oh, yeah. So it's kind of like, what are the point of these benefits if I don't even have the money to live day to day and I can't fund my family? You know? Oh, yeah. There, there, there's, a, there's a reason why most Europeans have to live in townhouses or in the villages or have to – or don't have cars and have to take the train. It's because it's just so – Paying expensive to live there, they get taxed so high now. It's just you know out of this world expensive because of rents and energy and commodity prices skyrocketing because of the war in Ukraine. Um, but yeah, these strikes they're not going to end for a while until the government concedes, which until they fix their inflation, yeah. until they fix their wages, until they fix the pension system, the healthcare system. In uh, what was it? It's in. England and a few other countries you mentioned, the healthcare systems are struggling right now because oh, nurses, yeah. doctors, they're all on strike right now. Yeah. So this is causing a ripple effect. And with those services that they do have and all the benefits they receive, now they can't have them because their nurses, doctors, their healthcare systems, all their sort of sectors are now struggling. So it's kind of interesting to see what this government is going to do. How are they going to combat inflation so that they can keep wages uh, wages higher. Yeah, I mean, the whole entire EU is just in shambles at the moment, and that's exactly what Putin wanted. Putin wants this commotion, wants the people to protest, wants them to shift the focus of the governments inwards to their people versus shifting their focus to the war effort right now. Right. So, and then, but the the problem is, is that government is ignoring the people, especially in France. I mean, the reform. Past the first house. Right. It's going to the second house. So they're just completely ignoring the French people. They, they don't care. Right. And so there's going to be a lot more problems. There is apparently in two days, a million people countrywide are going to protest in France. Really? Yep. Oh. A million people. Uh, yeah, that's, that's insane. That's going to cause a lot of... If that's not a wake-up call for any of these governments in the EU, then I don't know what is. You have these governments coming out with some wild solutions to try to force people back into work. But then those are those are pretty much temporary solutions. You get drawbacks. What is this going to solve? So Nothing. Personally, 
I believe that the UK should go back into the EU. That's like my big thing. Because with that, then they have that one of the biggest economies, right, going back into the EU, getting to reformulate these free trade agreements they have and create, again, these healthy partnerships with other EU members. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. This could be the start of fixing the inflation problem here. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And right now, with the war in Ukraine, I think the the EU... While there's not much fighting, it's st- kind of stagnating right now. It needs to focus on reform with its people, and then when spring hits, they can go and refocus on the war. But if they if they want to keep control of their governments, uh, the world is becoming much more nationalistic now, just like it was in 2016. And we're seeing the consequences of that. Yeah. So uh, the world's going to change in the next couple of months a lot. You're going to see, especially the EU. I think well, we're just going to be nationalistic now. And then once after the Russia-Ukraine war ends, I believe that the whole world is going to go back into this idea of converging. And of course, we're going to have individualistic countries, but we're going to see more free trade, more partnerships, more cooperations yeah. with countries all around the world because they saw what one war can happen. It has a ripple effect. We're too economically interconnected, which is causing problems Yeah, and for every citizen around the world. For sure. And, and they have to. If they don't, if we don't come together, uh, I mean, just look what happened with COVID. We all had to shut down. Yep. You know, when we're, we're feeling those effects. Um, but we'll we'll let you guys simmer in that one for for now. We're gonna take the turn now to the DRC, Democratic People's Republic of the Congo. Yes, so I always butcher that. I just say the Congo. Uh, but uh, this is an old old war, civil war that's been going on for a long time. Just to give you some background, if you don't know, I'm sure all of you guys are familiar with the Rwandan genocide in 1994. Uh, but the Tutsis who were being, uh, it was the Tutsis, right? Or it was the Hutu, sorry. It was the Hutu that was being persecuted, and then they fought. The Hutus were um, persecuting the Tutsis. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> I get those confused all the time. Yeah, because the, the Tutsis were technically a, a lighter black, which is why the colonials put them in power back in the day, because they were seen as white black Versus the Hutus who were black. Um, and so the Hutus obviously started to kill all the Tutsis. The Tutsis left to Rwanda, or to the Congo, which is their neighbor, and formed these militia groups, which one of them, the most famous one, is the March 23rd or M23. Um, they are supported by the Rwandan government, who is now majority. Hutu, but Tutsi, but they've kind of solved their issues a little bit. Yeah. There's still problems. But over in the Congo, it is a mess in the northern region of uh, North Kivu. That is uh, a basically a no-fly zone, a no-go zone yeah. considered by the United Nations. Yeah, and another cause of violence within the DRC is because of what you said, some uh, the ethnic conflict. But there's also massive untapped mineral resources that the DRC sits on. Yeah, everybody wants their hands on, but they can't get. And if they do get their hands on them, they make money and they make arms. They buy arms and they further fuel this war. So, oh, yeah. What is it? It's oil, cobalt, and diamonds? Uh, or Oil, cobalt, diamonds, and a bunch more. Yeah, and We're talking more. $24 trillion worth in many Jeez. different... 
um, many different untapped uh, resources. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, this has been going on for decades, this, this conflict. Like and the UN peacekeeping mission, uh, which is M M-O-N-U-S-C-O, which stands for the Monusco. Yeah. The the French name is Mission de l'Organisation des Nations Unias pour la Stabilisation of Republic Democratico du Congo. That's not bad. So, yeah, I, I did pretty good. I did butcher it. But that is the, the mission that has been currently in the U.S. Uh, in there since 1999. The Security Council has been in there. Uh, they've done nothing. It pretty much. I mean, they've tried their best, yeah. but... Have they gone far? No. You know why? Because the rebel groups don't care. They're going to get what they want, regardless of who's in there yeah. at any cost. Exactly. And so, um, now, I mean, there are many different things that are coming out of this. Uh, it's a humanitarian crisis as well. There's 13 million people in this country who face hunger, and 5 million more who have had to flee and look for asylum in other African Union countries. As well as the resurgence in the Ebola virus, I didn't know this, but there has been four thousand deaths, four thousand oh, yeah. plus deaths of Ebola, um, which was basically contained for a lot of years. Yeah. So there's there's a big problem. The other day there was some uh, funeral where a million people, like one point six million uh, people, went out to celebrate. Right. Some funeral and some in the some some important day in the Congo. Forget exactly what it was, but um, I have that Pope was there in South Sudan. Yeah, that's right. The Pope, not the funeral. It was a, it was a the Pope was there in South Sudan and the DRC to try to promote. Oh, so that must have been what it was. Yeah, yeah. he. I mean, he tried it. The Pope tried his best, but I mean, let's be real. It's so hard. To, it's hard to, to to make peace there. Everybody, every rebel group. Every ethnic group wants their own peace, their own way, and govern their own way. It's physically, it's just been impossible for, for peace to be promoted. And that makes you think, like, how yeah. do we even, where do we even start with peace there? And so, personally, I think that the UN needs to play a more direct policing role. Oh, for sure. Where we're just standing by there and we're waiting for something to happen. And then the UN steps in. Yeah. If they're going to stop this conflict, we need to have... A day in the UN where we all just vote. Should the UN take a direct role and officially like go on the offensive with these rebel groups? Yeah. But that, when I was thinking about that, then it causes the question of should the UN peacekeeping force then step into a Russia-Ukraine situation, or should the exactly. UN play only a role when it comes to decades long of un like uh, decades long of conflict that hasn't ceased. So I uh, that that's a good point to bring up because like literally what would happen is let's say everything approves like they get the peacekeeping mission and they go on a offensive you know because they can only do so much because right. of the UN then the, you're like you said the thing would be oh can we bring it up in the Russia Ukraine war well yes we can but guess what Russia has veto power and they're gonna say you know f off we can't do that. You know, we're going to veto your, your resolution, so it's not going to happen. And uh, the Congo, I, look, for me, I see two solutions. The first one is to use the UN and democratically try to split up the ethnic populations that want to be split up in their ethnic regions. So the North gets its own country, the rest of the Congo is its own, and then Rwanda stays where it is. And they can do that. But the other one, it's going to cause for 
actual military intervention by only one I can think of is NATO partnering with the African Union and using things like special forces to go in there and take out leaders of militia groups to kind of just cut the head off the snake and leave them in shambles. Which then the Rwandan or the the Democratic Republic of the Congo government could come in and take the penis in the north. But that's the stretch. That is a stretch because if we do put NATO in there, then it's like all the other countries, countries like Russia and China, are like, oh, look at what NATO's doing. They're expanding their influence. <laughs> so that's why I think if we use the UN peacekeeping force, there's more multilateralism when we use that than have NATO go down there. Yeah. I believe that's a great idea, only if other countries that are like adversaries of NATO come into this discussion of whether or not we should use NATO to uh, be the next offensive uh, force down there. Yeah, and um, the one the one big thing for me that I think is lacking is the African unions. Uh, they're, they're just not doing enough kind of help out the Congan government. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. I'm, I'm assuming it's Congolese. Thank you. Um, but they're just not helping out their government They're going into the north. If you know anything about the north, Congo, it's it's incredibly it's it's all rainforest. It's almost impossible to maneuver. Right. But if you have enough help and enough forces, you can kind of cut them out and either force them in the jungle or out of the jungle. And, but the the government the governments in the African Union are doing nothing. They're 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 not negotiating. They're not sending military help. And Rwanda has no help because they're fighting on their border with the, the Democratic People's Republic of the Congo. So you can't. What can they do? They have no help. So I don't I don't know. My where other idea yeah. was if the U.S. plays its policing role again. Oh gee, yeah. Because the U.S. is going to start. Or has started their operations in Somalia. I don't know if you read that. Uh, yeah, they, they've always had operations. Yeah, the, the, I think they're going to have a more direct role though, in Somalia. And that makes me think, if we're going to stop the violence in Somalia, we might as well stop the violence in the DRC. But we get access to their resources in return, and we promise them some sort of trade deal, right? We'll get rid of your the, the violence going on here. In return... We get some of the resources here, and we can help you extract these resources. Yeah, um, that way we can beat the Chinese influence, and the Russian influence down there is growing as well. Oh, not many people are talking about that. The Russians are forming their economic alliances because of their anti, because they were always anti-colonialism. Uh, oh, absolutely, yeah. Even during the time when all countries, all of the Western countries, plundered into uh, into making colonies. The Soviet Union was never like, no. and that's why the so the, the Russians have a very good strategic opportunity here to make good relationships and get access. So now you have the Russians and the Chinese in Africa, and we're still left out here. Yep, and there there's the biggest reason why the uh, the United States is in like the horn um, in Ethiopia and Somalia is well, first off, it's terrorism, and that's our our motto: war on terror. And then the second one is because it's a it's a trade route uh, to to India, um, and so we have to we have, we have to be there. We don't see the Congo as uh, necessary, 
And, well, I'll have to, you know, argue that that's just greatly wrong, especially Southern Africa in general has so many natural resources that the United States can use trade agreements to help our tech sector, also our oil sector. Yep. And so I think it's by policy standards in the United States, we're just blind. We're kind of just turning a blind eye to it. And countries like Angola, countries like South Africa, countries like the DRC, we're just ignoring them. While China and, like you said, Russia are taking full advantage of their resources or are going to in the future. Yep. I mean, the violence, if nothing's going to happen in these next in this next year or these next few years, Africa is just going to be another problem con- a problem continent with a lot of um, ethnic wars going on, yep. a lot of civil wars, and it's just going to dissuade people from investing in Africa. Africa has potential. So yeah. much potential. So much potential to grow. And yet, no one's seeing this. They could be the next major player in the world. They could be a huge part of globalization. Yeah. But no one sees this opportunity because of all this conflict going on. You have to start somewhere, obviously. You yeah. have to help them get rid of their, their conflicts. They've been in conflict since God knows how long. Yeah. Since everyone, since all the, the colonialists um, left when they, uh, when they all left. So yeah. it's just like, help them out. For like, sure. Of course, yeah. you know it's going to cost us, but the return on investment is a, is going to be absurd. Oh yeah, and out of this world. All, all I'm saying is that we, the United States and Europe, that on Southeast Asia, and look at what that did. Southeast Asia, it's, it's such a beautiful place to go. Oh, yeah. So many diverse populations it's with yeah, exactly. It's a place of places for me to visit with beautiful cities and growing economies. I think our next bet needs to be on Africa because, you know, Latin America is growing and it's in our hemisphere. They're going to continue to grow with us. Right. But Africa, everybody just leaves behind and I think it's a mistake and I think it's a horrible thing for the African people because they have so much potentials. I mean, look at the Middle East too. We bet on the Middle East. And look where they are. Look where they are. They're, uh, they're, they're growing in numbers. So... Yeah. I think that's our that's our next thing is focus on Africa and that I think Hoping foreign policy DRC adjust our foreign policy for Africa. I think this should be all done after the Russia Ukraine war. And yes. In order to solve the inflation crisis, energy crisis, all our answers are in Africa. But we can only get started if we help the DRC and other um and other African countries that are facing this violence. So for sure. That kind of wraps up uh, what I gotta say about the situation in DRC. Do you have any final remarks? Or- no, just uh you know put your research out there for people who are listening, uh, because it's not in the headlines and I, I, I honestly personally hate it. And it sucks. It sucks yeah. that this is not headline news. Like people need to be aware of the ongoing violence that we have. Yes, Russia, Ukraine and all the violence going on in there, but there's a lot more places with a lot yes. more violence that is being unsolved, and we all need to be aware of this. Absolutely. Uh, go to BBC Global Africa. You'll get everything. Oh, man, I, I know. It's, like it's the, one of the Perfect. best things ever. Uh, but we got one more topic. One more topic. I want, every time I read this, I just want to laugh. Yeah, it's... it's so we have, for our final topic, the U.S. debt ceiling. Oh, boy. Yeah, I... Anyways, as you all are familiar, the United States just hit its $31.4 trillion debt ceiling. Um, for those unfamiliar, uh, the United States caps its borrowing ability to avoid overborrowing and overspending. With high inflation, sending support to Ukraine, 
subsidies in the economic sectors that we have here in the U.S. and many other government expenditures that we have that we don't even know about, billions of dollars in expenditures. The U.S. hit that delta. The U.S. constantly hits our debt ceiling over and over again. We've yeah. raised it, what, how many times since the 1960s? 73? Uh, something, something, like uh, something around there. Right. So, yeah, typically, you know, the U.S. would just raise its debt ceilings in situations like this. But House Republicans this time want to negotiate and look into spending cuts. Um, there, are, there are two big things that especially Democrats are looking at that they don't want to be cut, which are uh, Social Security and Medicare. Those are the two most funded, highest funded, I should say, social right. programs in the United States. Uh, I, th I literally saw on Yahoo News the other day that Social Security is funded at $1.3 trillion. That is a lot of money. And obviously, I think everybody who put into it deserves to get what they put in back. Uh, but we're we're at a situation now in the United States where uh, we're trying to fight inflation. We just hit our debt ceiling, and, well, we have to freaking print money again. That sucks because then inflation's going to go back up. Then inflation, correct. Yeah, so House Republicans and Democrats are fighting a little bit about uh, raising the debt ceiling. Um, the biggest, the most affected really in this market is going to be the bond market. Obviously, bond yields right. are going to lower, and um, the bonds in general are going to have to be cashed in, um, which is just bad for the economy. Mm hmm. The U.S. has never defaulted on any debts. We've always paid our debts. So I don't know where we go from here. I don't think the U.S. will afford to um, default. What they'll do is if they don't reach a resolution, if they don't know what they want to uh, cut our spending on, we're going to raise the debt ceiling again. So for those worried that you know we're going to default, I highly doubt the U.S. would ever default on its loan. It would be the stupidest mistake that the U.S. would make because it would ripple. Not even It would destroy our economy and ripple throughout the rest of the world. Oh, yeah. So, I, I do agree that spending cuts is a good conversation to have, but in my opinion, this conversation should have happened way before that debt ceiling got hit. If they really were interested in getting spending cuts, we needed to look at this before our debt, our debt ceiling hit. The debt ceiling is going to hit, right? No matter what, no matter cuts, it's just going to hit it slower. But when it does come, right, we're more prepared with new measures now after that debt, uh, after the debt ceiling hit. So... For me personally, I agree that we should raise the debt ceiling one more time. But as soon as we raise that debt ceiling, have conversations on what to spend, on to cut on spending. Yeah. And spending cuts in general, it depends on where we're cutting our spending. I believe in spending reorganization rather than spending cuts. Yes, um, I agree. Because the United States uh, government in general is not very good at fiscal responsibility. How many times have uh, they tried the remember they tried to audit themselves and after three point five trillion dollars they couldn't? <laughs> there's just there's money lost. They don't know where I went. My money goes. Yeah, that's 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 the United States summed up in a in a general thing. Uh, our bureaucracy is so slow, so demanding, and um there's just lost because there's so many different agencies. Um there are definitely places that can be cut. I don't know where we could start first. Um, there's Homeland Security, which gets funded incredibly high. But then there's also welfare, which gets funded incredibly high. Then you go and look at Social Security and Medicare. Defense budget. Defense budget. Subsidy budget. Yeah, there, there's so many things that could be cut in certain areas. But for Even me... if we do cut it, right? 
The problem is, if we cut it, then we're going to lose out on one part, which is important for our economy. So no matter where you do the cut, our economy is going to drop. Yeah. That's why I believe in spending reorganization. Yeah. That way we can reorganize. We'll have the same amount of money that we're spending, but we can do it more efficiently. Because yeah. no matter what, you can cut, you can do whatever, but it's going to hurt in some way. Yes. We, we definitely need more um, consulting agencies to consult government agencies, uh, which is something that personally I would like to do as a job when I'm older because we see the, the there's no responsibility in so many agencies right. of how they, they spend their money uh, or where money gets spent. Do um, you remember that thing I showed you, the breakdown of Homeland Security? There's $90.8 billion annually, I believe. It, it, it's between 90 and $100 billion a year. Right. But only $55 million goes towards uh, immigrants actually coming into the country. That's not... That doesn't... Like, how can you, like, responsibly... 31.4 trillion, yeah. which is our debt. Yeah, how can you responsibly look at that and say, oh, it's not a problem. Where's the other billions of dollars going? That's my question. Because everyone complains about how we have an immigration problem, and the government is complaining how we have an immigration problem, but they don't put more money where the problem is. And the problem is migrants coming over the border. The problem is migrants in the United States. We have 11 million. And that's what just doesn't make sense to me. So it's a lot of fiscal uh, responsibility that needs to be changed. And adjustment. Yeah. And just looking into, like you said, we need more financial oversight. Yeah. That is most important in the next time we do raise our debt ceiling. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I believe that we need more money into the subsidies, agricultural subsidies, innovation yes. yes. subsidies, yes. those kinds of subsidies. Ones that where businesses can just get incentivized for the work they do. Yep. The reason being is, let's say you have a you have a uh, you have a business. Business A gets a subsidy. Let's say we take the money from, let's say social, right? Social programs like Medicare, Medicaid. We remove some of that and we spend it towards subsidies. Now the company has money to continue innovation. They can fund their own retirement plans now, ones that could be better, like creating a 401k yes. that has been proven that can be better than relying on Medicare and Medicaid. Yep. So, of course, these social programs are important for people starting out in life or those who you know, never had a good paying job and have to rely on Medicaid. Uh, not me what is it? Medicare, Medicaid. They're, Medicare, they're, Medicaid, yeah. yeah. So, and social security as well, the, uh, you know, getting that monthly, uh, monthly pension. So, yeah. Um, I, I mean, I completely agree. Cause just thinking off the top of my head, I just did the research. I forgot about the Biden uh, chip act, yeah. which gives $280 billion to build chip factories to have like, so we don't have to rely on outside chips from Taiwan and China. It's, it's a very good policy to have. Um, it was a very good bill signed into law because it, it gives American jobs. It gives Amer our American tech sector a boost. In chip making for cars, for phones, for computers. And right. I think it's a very good bill. Whether you like Joe Biden or not, that doesn't matter. That's a very smart bill because what it does is it builds our economy. And I think that's where we need to start instead of cutting spending. I think subsidies to boost sectors of the economy and also cutting taxes to allow business people to grow, to grow businesses to grow, to allow small businesses to grow, to allow people to start businesses, to allow international businesses to come over here i agree and so it's it's a place it's it's a good starting place to to erase china that. has these uh what was it called the tax-free areas i forgot what they yeah. were called 
Oh, it's not coming to me. I know it's they have they have these portions of their countries. They build out like not even build out. They carve out like little things on the map where it's like if you park your boats here, or like if you bring in materials here, we will not tax this. I just can't get the name of it. Yeah, I don't know what the definition. Is. Uh, I'll look it up. If you can look it up, that'd be great. So how it works is, let's say you have a container of I don't know iron coming in. That iron, if it free trade zone. Yeah, that's just what it's called. Yeah, free trade zone. Free trade. Yeah. If it enters this free trade zone, right? It's not taxed. There's no tariffs. As long as the product is being made and all the and leaving the country out of that free trade zone, that is how you promote economic boost. Yeah. Right. My other thing was we reorganize the defense spending. So we remove some of the dis- defense spending and put that into subsidies. Now, people, of course, you know, I, I love our military. The mil- our military is strong, powerful, and we need it for for our security. And I'm sure that everyone else agrees that our military is the best in the world. Yeah. We spend $800 billion on it, right? Whether, like, of course, there's people agree and disagree to that. But after this Russia-Ukraine war, right, we don't necessarily need high defense budget because Russia's economy is crippled. For them to recover and rebuild their military with their money is going to take them some time. China's focused on economics, right? Yeah. They could send their spy balloons. They could spy on us as much as they want. But at the end of the day, they're focused more on their people because when their people strike, remember when the strikes that happened in China? Yep, two million. Tired of that COVID lockdown, tired of their economy being shut down. China's focus on economics. Russia needs to rebuild. Yeah, we're gonna need we need to focus here in the U.S. also to combat inflation and con, uh, combat the high consumer spending. So moving that cash from the defense to subsidies for businesses, I think would be crucial, right? For sure. And at the end, right, you have these subsidies, and you're like, okay, well, now we have a lower defense budget, but higher subsidies. When you make that money back, right? When you make that money back. You from tax revenue or whatever it is, right? That money can then be funneled back into the defense, yes, back into all these social programs. But we can't have that unless we bring businesses here. Yeah, we bring innovation here. We bring we bring imports and exports here in the United States. We make money off of all that and refund it back into places where we reorganize, um, where we reorganize the way we spend. Yes, I'm. It, it, I totally agree because. One thing that comes to my mind as well, uh, for w- one last thing on this topic is the buy model of zero percent tax. And I don't believe the United States can that necessarily zero percent, but what I do think we could do is lower taxes to such a minimum, especially for businesses, right? To where they're paying, let's say, five percent. And I don't know if, if all of you viewers out here know, but businesses. Rarely get taxed on product and profit as a whole. They get taxed on profit per state where business resides. So where the factories are, where the uh, you know uh, stores are, all of that is taxed. Not the general profits. If you lower, which is why a lot of people go to Texas, which is why a lot of people go to Florida, because their income tax there is zero. Their property tax is zero. If we lower the taxes, let's say to for businesses, for large corporations to five percent from what it's at twenty two percent, and small businesses to twelve percent where it is at thirty two percent, you change the way businesses are able to move and where they're able to work. Everybody will go everywhere because 
yes, maybe taxes are higher in one state to another, but the federal tax doesn't matter to them anymore. That's the biggest concern that right. most people have. And I think by lowering the tax model, getting rid of income tax for not not for companies, uh, but getting rid of income tax for Americans and raising sales tax, which is what Republicans proposed in the government. Yeah. It's what they proposed a couple of weeks ago. I think it would be a good idea. Yeah. Um, and it could solve a lot of our future credit uh, problems. Right. Yeah, this is a... Uh... I don't know, this debt ceiling conversation, I feel like won't be the last one. No, it won't be. We're it, probably going to see another future raises in our debt ceiling until, but we need to be ready for this conversation, um, especially House Republicans, Senate Republicans, Senate Dems, and uh, House Dems. Yeah, they definitely we need better cooperation between the House and Senate, along with the president. The dialogue between them is going nowhere. Oh, it's awful. It's, it's terrible. You see the State of the Union? No, I did not. He called them out for. He called Joe Biden. Called the Republicans out. He says this: not all Republicans voted to get rid, like, but Medicare and Social Security and the entirety of the Republican Party just started booing the president, and which is just so so childish. I hate it. It's not acceptable. It's so childish at at our government level. We rely on the policies that they make, and they're over here feeding the, the the government like the playground. Yeah, and then. Biden says not all Republicans, and he starts talking about how we should increase funding for those things. And the Democrats all stand up and start clapping their hands. And increase it's, funding it's, when we already hit our ceiling. It's <laughs> so frustrating to see how our government just cannot talk anymore. And that's a another story for another day. That might be a topic that we could talk about later yeah. about the how the Republicans and Democrats have shifted, but. Uh, I feel bad for uh, Secretary of the Treasury Yellen. She's kind of just on her own thing. She is, yeah. Taking care of business, and she's urging uh, politicians to take care of this while she's just trying to hold the economy down Yeah. before June hits. So yeah. you got to feel for her, man. Yeah, you got to feel. feel for everybody who's working in the Treasury and even the Fed at this point. Like, yeah, even Paul was like, what are y'all doing? Yeah, pa- what are y'all doing? We solve this before we have another economic crisis and we were just fixing inflation yeah now now it's just going downhill but uh yeah I, that's the end uh, i hope you guys got a lot out of that one because i like the last one it was a lot we talk a lot sometimes but <laughs> yeah we can go on and on about this but we want to leave it up to the viewers to take in what they heard from this yeah formulate their own opinions yeah. And do their own research. Most importantly, we advocate for your own research. Yes. That's why we started this. That's why we want to push people to be their own experts because yes. news nowadays, not the best. The headlines don't cover everything. everything. And also, you know what we haven't said? Let's let, let, I'm going to say this right now before we get off. We're gonna, I'm going to tell you what I think are my personal favorite news sources to go to. It, for unbiased and also very accurate news, I'm going to say the New York Times. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little bit more left-leaning, but very accurate. Wall like Street Journal, yep. a little bit more right-leaning, but very accurate. Reuters, very good. Reuters and Reuters. Uh, was it the Foreign Affairs Magazine? I have... Foreign Affairs Journal. Foreign Affairs Journal, yep. yep. And then The Economist. Yeah, I think, I think you, those you, are bang on. You talk to those six um, for American resources, right. you'll you'll get very good news from those. I think you hit pretty much my list, too. Uh, I would just have the BBC on there. Oh, yeah, well. the BBC. Um, other than that, those are pretty much the exact same uh, resources that I use, too. Um, sometimes, very rarely, I'll have like Fox and CNN on to see yeah. what the extreme discussion is on yes. left and right, but those are not resources people should rely on. Yes. They only do it for publicity now. They yeah. don't do it for 
describing politics. Yeah, I would. It's all publicity stunts with them. I would stay away from Fox, Newsmax, uh, MSNBC. Yeah, uh, those and CNN. AP News is good too. I forgot about. Yeah, AP News is pretty good. I, I think they're growing. Yeah, uh, they're growing pretty well. But yeah, um, I hope you guys learned a lot from that. So. Yeah. Uh, again, make sure to, to follow us on all of our social medias. Make sure to listen to our podcasts on Spotify, Apple Play, Amazon, and Google Play. Um, yeah, this is our third episode. Uh, thank you for listening. We'll see you guys uh, in a couple of days. In the next episode. Yeah. Take care, everyone.